welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. Two cases again this week. Seems like the circuits are bouncing back and forth from monster weeks to limited ones. I'm just here for the ride. Also worth noting that after Judge Bloom's great district court holding last week, the D.C. Circuit stayed a different lower court's injunction in a separate matter regarding the Trump and now Biden administration's implementation of Title 42, which is essentially allowing immigration officials to turn around asylum seekers at the border without a hearing, ostensibly due to COVID-19. We'll see what happens on the merits, but it's a sad day for asylum seekers everywhere. Again, two cases for you guys, with a really important one to start off. Here we go. Starting off with the Fifth Circuit, with Rodriguez v. Garland, published on September 27th, 2021. This case is about in absentia motions to reopen, and it kind of blew my mind. Mr. Rodriguez is from Uruguay and adjusted to conditional lawful permanent resident status in 2014 based on his marriage to a U.S. citizen. Under the law, this meant that as the two-year mark of CLPR status approached, Mr. Rodriguez needed to petition to remove the condition with USCIS so that USCIS could grant him full LPR status. That would essentially require that he and his spouse appear before USCIS again and prove that indeed they have a valid marriage. Some exceptions there, but generally that's what's required. It appears that Mr. Rodriguez and his wife never filed the petition, and so USCIS served Mr. Rodriguez with a notice to appear, where, before an immigration judge, he would have another opportunity to prove the validity of his marriage and remove that pesky condition. But, quote, the NTA did not contain the time and date of his immigration hearing, end quote. The follow-up notice of hearing, of course, did, but Mr. Rodriguez claims that he never received it because he separated from his wife and he changed addresses. Unclear whether he updated his new address with DHS or the immigration court. He didn't appear for his hearing, and so, 
he was ordered removed in absentia at that first hearing. He learned of the removal order a few months later in mid-2018 and moved to reopen proceedings, claiming that he didn't receive the notice of hearing and that the NTA he received was insufficient under Pereira v. Sessions. The IJ denied the motion and the BIA affirmed. And the Fifth Circuit reversed everybody. As we know, no notice motions to reopen can be filed at any time. There is no time deadline. Mr. Rodriguez argued that his in absentia removal order must be reopened because he did not receive proper notice of his hearing under immigration law because INA Section 239A requires that the NTA have the date, time, and location of his first hearing. And his NTA didn't have those things. And the Fifth Circuit agreed, based on recent Supreme Court decisions that I've discussed on the podcast ad nauseum. But no matter how nauseous, I'm going to do it again. Although the Fifth Circuit recognized that Pereira and Nis Chavez were issued in the context of the stop-time rule for non-LPR cancellation of removal, those decisions, at base, were about what INA Section 239A requires of notices to appear. Because under the plain text of the stop-time rule, continuous physical presence is stopped upon service of an NTA that complies with INA Section 239A. That's what Pereira and Nis Chavez say. INA Section 239A is expressly referenced by the stop-time rule, and it's expressly referenced by the in absentia motion to reopen statute as well. So according to the Fifth Circuit, what the Supreme Court said about that statute is very relevant here. And really, it's not about Pereira at all. It's about Niz Chavez. The Fifth Circuit was one of the circuits that had held, like the BIA, that everything was cool after Pereira so long as the immigration court sent a follow-up notice of hearing. But Nish Chavez rejected that, albeit for stop-time rule purposes. A follow-up notice of hearing has no effect on the stop-time rule after Nish Chavez. And importantly for purposes of this case, in Nis Chavez, quote, the Supreme Court interpreted INA Section 239A separately from the stop-time statute, end quote. This means that the Fifth Circuit's pre nis Chavez opinions are out the window, at least where, like here, the statute at issue like the stop-time rule, quote, specifically references Section 239A notice requirements, end quote. The in absentia removal order reopening statute does, and so we're in Niz Chavez territory. And that's a good territory to be in. What does that mean? For Mr. Rodriguez, it meant that because his NTA didn't comply with INA Section 239A, the IJ and the BIA erred in refusing to reopen his proceedings. And so to summarize, and to me, in the Fifth Circuit, a deficient NTA might suffice to initiate removal proceedings, although a claims processing rule violation argument might exist. But if the non-citizen fails to appear for that hearing, the court must reopen proceedings. And that strange conclusion, which again is me, not the Fifth Circuit, is because, unlike the initiation of proceedings, I believe, the in absentia reopening statute expressly references INA Section 239A. And that's the foot in the door with Niz Chavez. What a holding. And I'd say it's a holding applicable to every statute, like non-LPR cancellation or removal, voluntary departure, and now in absentia motions to reopen that expressly reference INA Section 239A. The Fifth Circuit remanded and Mr. Rodriguez gets his hearing, and in only seven pages. Wait, 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 wait. 
I've gotten in trouble with this before, but I think this means all in absentia removal orders in the Fifth Circuit that began with deficient NTAs need to be reopened, right? The Fifth Circuit said all this and sent the case back expressly without addressing whether Mr. Rodriguez had rebutted the presumption under immigration law that the hearing notice had been properly mailed and that he had properly received it. That is, the Fifth Circuit doesn't care whether Mr. Rodriguez received his hearing notice or not, because all that matters is whether the NTA complied with Section 239A. That's a big deal. The Fifth Circuit just overruled or distinguished its prior precedent by relying on the statutory interpretation conducted in Chavez in a manner that would appear generally applicable to tens of thousands of non-citizens issued deficient NTAs at the southern border since 1997. And there is no number or time limit for in absentia motions to reopen. Also, less momentously, but maybe equally important to remember, just because Mr. Rodriguez separated from his wife doesn't mean he couldn't remove the condition before USCIS or the immigration judge. It would have been and will be more difficult for him to do so, but if, for example, he can prove that the marriage was valid from inception and when he filed the initial adjustment of status application, he should be fine. People's marriages don't always work, but that doesn't make the marriage illegitimate while it lasted. And that is Rodriguez v. Garland. Next and finally, we have Nolasco Amaya v. Garland, published by the Ninth Circuit on September 28, 2021. This case is about due process rights of unrepresented non-citizens. Judge Callahan dissented. Ms. Nolasco Amaya is from Honduras, but did not appear for her removal hearing because she had returned to Honduras to care for her ill mother. She entered the U.S. without authorization afterwards, and years later in 2019, DHS found her and reinstated the final order of removal. Ms. Nolasco Amaya passed her reasonable fear interview and so was placed in withholding-only proceedings where she could apply for withholding of removal under the INA and Convention Against Torture Protection. In proceedings, the immigration judge found Ms. Nolasco Amaya credible and that she had suffered past persecution on account of a protected ground. Wish I knew why, but the decision does not say. Seems like it was MS-13 based, though, reviewing Ms. Nolasco Amaya's later notice of appeal. Anyway, despite those favorable findings, the IJ determined that Ms. Nolasco Amaya had not shown that the Honduran government was unable or unwilling to protect her, or that it would acquiesce to the torture that she feared. So the IJ denied relief and protection. Ms. Nolasco Amaya filed an appeal without an attorney to the BIA. To initiate an appeal, non-citizens or their attorneys first file a notice of appeal with the BIA. And then months or years later, while the attorney is on his honeymoon, the BIA issues a briefing schedule for submission of written argument to be received by the BIA within three weeks. Ms. Nolasco Amaya filed the notice of appeal by herself, and it contained a few sentences demonstrating that she seems desperate and is trying to do the best she can to represent herself in an incredibly complicated situation. Then, for reasons unexplained, she also checked the box on the notice of appeal, stating that she would file a written brief later. Now, don't get me wrong. If you don't check that box on a withholding or convention against torture appeal, you probably lose your case. But I also can only imagine that Ms. Nolasco Amaya didn't intend to file a written legal brief. Maybe she checked the box by accident? 
It's important because in the notice of appeal, the BIA states that if you check the box and don't submit a brief when the scheduling order is issued months or years later, the BIA can summarily dismiss the appeal without really getting into the issues being appealed. And that's what happened here. In addition to the lack of a brief, the BIA also held that the notice of appeal did not, quote, meaningfully apprise the board of the specific reasons underlying her challenge to the immigration judge's decision, end quote. Ms. Nolasco-Amaya got an attorney for the petition for review, and here, she got the case remanded by the Ninth Circuit based on a finding that the summary dismissal violated Ms. Nolasco-Amaya's due process rights. To paraphrase, 8 CFR section 1003.1D2I allows the BIA to summarily dismiss an appeal when the appealing party hasn't sufficiently put the BIA on notice of the specific issues being challenged on appeal, and at least some of the bases for appeal. But at the same time, in immigration, as with all areas of law, courts must, quote, construe liberally claims raised by pro se petitioners, end quote, including those made, quote, before the BIA, end quote. Applying all those concepts here, the Ninth Circuit held that Ms. Nolasco Amaya's notice of appeal wasn't so unspecific that the BIA had to, quote, speculate on what possible errors she was claiming, end quote. If it had to, it could have summarily dismissed the case. But here, it was clear that Ms. Nolasco Amaya was challenging the unable or unwilling to protect finding, and the IJ's cat denial based on internal relocation and a lack of government acquiescence. That's enough for the BIA to have to actually issue a decision rather than summarily dismissing the case, at least for pro se non-citizen appeals. Pretty specific to pro se cases, and if you've got such a case, read the decision to compare your notice of appeal to this one but good for the non-citizen, no doubt. Congratulations, Luis Cortez Romero, for petitioner. Here's a bit more for pro se non-citizens and attorneys alike. It was rumored that, at least under the prior administration, the BIA was summarily dismissing cases without providing an opportunity for attorneys to brief the case based simply on an allegedly deficient notice of appeal. Well, if that happens to you, consider beefing up your notices of appeal, and use this quote for reconsideration or petition for review. Quote, When a non-citizen gives detailed reasons to support her appeal, either in a separate brief or on the notice of appeal itself, summary dismissal violates the non-citizen's due process rights as guaranteed by the Fifth Amendment. End quote. Emphasis in the original, the or. Need to be given the chance to brief it if you request it. And that is Nalasco Amaya v. Garland. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review or click on the link in the show notes. 
And if you're interested in an official Immigration Review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at Immigration Review, and send us a tweet at ImReview. That's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.